Friendshupiter Networks presents Sagas of the Blank Page, a live play podcast featuring the Visor role-playing system. Hey friends, welcome back. This is now part three of a four-part podcast, The Dead West, 1870s. I'm your host, Crenshaw. This is Crenshupiter Networks. I am joined once again with an amazing group of role players with me. I have, again, my beautiful wife, Sandra. Sandra, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thanks for inviting me. This is uh, great. <laughs> I also, uh, and Sandra is playing Maggie Trumbauer. Um, and uh, we, when we last left Maggie, she was on her farm and was invaded by a stranger and some horses. Um, also joining us this week is Gary. Gary, thank you again for joining. Ah, thank you for having me. Um, Gary is playing Dr. Henry Hawkins. And when we last saw Dr. Hawkins, he was arriving in town and was accosted by some young, beautiful ladies. But then chased a man who disappeared down an alley disappeared down an alley i'm not sure what an alley is but that's where he disappeared down it's it's like an alley and an owl it's a very scary place it's a scary place (laughs) um uh also joining us uh in the streets of that same town is sarah uh the 17 year old um churchgoer played by our lovely joanna joanna thank you for joining Oh, thank you for hosting. This is great. We are so pleased that you could join. Um, and the last time we saw Sarah, she was fighting with laundry and and somehow getting lost within it for some reason. How does that make you feel? Lost against the sheep. It's a sad, sad thing. And uh, and last and not least to be joining us, um, playing Dr. Jack Middleton is our uh, our returning uh, game uh, creator himself, and that would be Mr. Graham. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Um, you are uh, you are a high bar for me because uh, when I think of when I think of horror and I think of the idea of creating an atmosphere for your players um i bow to your to your knowledge so having you as a as a player at my at my virtual table if you will is uh and with everyone uh it's really just quite an honor to have you guys here you are all fantastic players and i could not be happier so with that mushing said um we're going to move ahead and because we got a lot to cover and we got two hours of fun in the wild west um since we are using the visor con playing system um i want to make sure that everyone has a set of percentile dice uh two ten siders very simple uh giving us a score from one to 100 and as a gm um i'm using a six sider because we are using a variant of the con rules which includes sanity and also includes hit points. Um, I don't usually use sanity, but using the Weird West, um, we're going to have some fun this time with some sanity loss. See who, see who can start to drool on camera first or who can drool on the podcast first. So with that, also get yourself a deck of cards. Deal yourself three resource cards. Put them uh, in your, uh, in, under your 
resources or in your pocket, depending on what visor con character sheet you're using. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and, uh, and away we go. You drop back into your easy chair on a Friday afternoon because you've just moved off your other sofa where you were working on because you were working on another sofa. And this is your weekend chair. Oh, it's the weekend, Friday night. You grab your DVR, you spin up the last episode of the Crunch Jupiter Networks. And the last moment before the episode starts, you catch the last moment of a commercial. That's right, guys. The Visor Con t-shirt. You're sick and tired of looking for your character sheet. Well, guess what, guys? It's on you now. Printed on the shirt and for you to write on is your own Visor Con t-shirt. Coming soon to Visor Co. The screen kind of fades to black and we're again seeing a small logo of Crenshupter Networks appearing and the camera moves toward it. And as it fades out, we see Weird West in this old kind of twisted wood lettering made out of trees and, and other strange saplings, maybe a bone or two somehow sticking out. But as we get closer, we see it twisting and gnarling and we fly through the letters and we see as we get closer to it, that it's actually starting to rot. And you can see almost twisted faces in the wood as we slide through the letters. And what we see below us is a small area of Nevada. Um, and as we come closer, we see that there's a little, tiny little mining town and the glow in the evening of all of the tents of the tent city around the rootin' tootin' shootin' little mining town in the middle of Eli, Nevada. And as the camera comes down, we now pick up, uh, we now see this town folk, but just before we land, our camera notices way up off in the distance, we can see a set of mountain ranges that are set cast against the sunset just falling below the horizon. And on top of that mountain, we can, on one of them, we can see this fog, this mist bank that's kind of rolling with the, with the breath of the air being pushed across the mountains. And in that kind of mist, we can see a sparkling of lights, kind of fairy lights dancing within that, within that atmospheric mist that's along the ridgeline. And as we come down into the town, we can see the, 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 the saloons that are open and we come down into the street and we see that moment now of Dr. Henry Hawkins, who has um, just finished putting away his things in his room in the um, Porter Saloon where he has put his himself up and it's a few hours after having that strange um, Chinese gentleman disappear down the alley. You're muted, Gary. There you are. There I am. Um, so yeah, just taking stock of what uh, had just occurred, um, seeing as he just disappeared into thin air, no tracks, no nothing. I'm again going to flip through my journal, go back to the note that my 
um, my colleague had sent me to guide me here and kind of, you know, see if there's any mention of, you know, <laughs> a mysterious Asian man, uh, you know, in the area. Um, it's a it's a great moment. The camera kind of picks you up um, in the room. Do me a favor and just kind of describe how the room is kind of laid out with your quote unquote kit. Uh, like I said, he travels very, very light. Um, the clothes he has on him are pretty much the clothes he wears all the time, which was pretty much the norm back then. Um, no, no real need for it. He does have his, um, traveling salesman's kit or luggage, as I'd like to call it. It has a bottom compartment with just a few, you know, regular clothes, socks, things like that. But the upper compartment is a series of vials and instruments that he can take and it folds out with those uh, self-rising racks like a uh, mm -hmm. really elaborate sewing station but here they're filled with little vials of herbs and mixtures little notes um, strange and exotic knickknacks and things like that um, and he's really just taking stock of things in, you know and I guess he's kind of also cleansing the room just to make sure there's no bad mojo coming in here. Uh, he's a little paranoid having seen some of the things that he's seen throughout his journeys. Um, other than that, the, the room's plain. He hasn't, it's neat. The bed still hasn't even been pulled down to uh, do anything other than sit on it while he takes stock. Okay. Rolling dice there, huh? Roll me some dice, baby. Um, give me like an Alan or give me a um, sense of the unnatural. Um... How about, oh, that doesn't look right. Yes, that's a great skill. Why don't you give me a roll of that? What is your target, sir? Uh, my target is 58. However, I rolled a 33, Ooh. which is acceptable for just being in a new spot. It is. I'll, I'll stick with it. All right. So you finished cleansing the room. And you've come back to your kit, and one of the vo it, it, there's a sound rattling from inside the case as you're kind of standing over it Ooh. with the with the accordion out. There's a sound from deeper inside, um, and it's kind of it sounds like almost like a uh, a chattering. Okay. Okay. Well, when you obviously going to take a look, yeah. You dig a little deeper and find that one of your vials has actually jumped out of the rack Ooh. during when you were uh, obviously doing your blessing of the room, mm -hmm. and it had jumped into the main compartment and and is actually vibrating and is tr and is vibrating enough to have worked its way down through the folds of your clothes and is now rattling along the bottom of the of the box and inside of it is a set of it looks like a a, a crystal but a very specific type of crystal formation because it has a three prong to it okay. it's like a cluster a very small cluster of three very small um uh stalag stalaggy mitre tight depending on how you hang it okay. formed okay. crystals like right like yeah. yeah yeah but just three of them and it's okay. in this tight little cluster enough that you could fit it inside this vial and it's rattling inside feverishly inside the glass like pulling at the side of the box trying to get out um 
against my better judgment, I will attempt to tap it out of the little vial there and kind of just hold it in my hand and see what kind of sensation I get. As soon as you open, uh, give me a dex roll then. Give me a dex roll. No. No? <laughs> no, sir. As you unscrew it, it's so tiny and shaking in your hands, it yeah. actually like frees itself out of your hand. And we get this slow-mo shot of like the vial dropping and this thing shooting out of the glass and sticking into the wooden wall next to the window from the position of where it was in this like direct shot and sticks into the wood, probably like a quarter of an inch. Okay. Um, with that done and now it's secured, so to speak, um, I think I'm going to take some uh, silver infused uh what you would call, I guess, like fishing line, something similar to that, and kind of wrap it around the three prongs to kind of put it, make, do a makeshift pendant almost so I can yeah. hold it and it's not going to fly away. Yeah, I put a leash on it. Yeah, yeah, lock it down, right? Lock uh, it down. <laughs> and uh, I'll begin to, I guess, either wear that around my wrist to kind of hide it. So to kind of feel where it's pulling in that yeah. manner. It's obvious as soon as you free it from the wall and around your wrist, it's pulling at your wrist. Okay. It's actively trying to, the strength that it is being dragged is much stronger than the size of this crystal. Okay. Is it proportionately? Can I arm up or can I it, like forcibly it, keep my hand down to kind of hide it? Let's say, let's say your arm would be neutral buoyant. Okay. At any point you hung it, there's enough pull on it that your arm would not come back down oh okay and as you notice give me a brain power roll please Ooh, uh, you know what i'm gonna use a card on that one because i am 68 out of 64 well that's close um i have in parentheses actually next to my brain power should he be on a certain type of medicinal mix his yeah. brain power is a little higher however uh i am not and i was just looking at my journal so i'm gonna toss out my my nine here okay and uh we'll bring it down to what uh, 59 out of 64 that's even better so okay. what happens is as you as you and you literally need to grab this thing and wiggle it to pull it out of the wood um when you finally get it free you kind of fall back a little bit and put your hand down back on the bed, which bounces the bed and your book flips to a different page. Ooh. And there's a drawing, strangely enough, of, uh, of a crystal and a, and a drawing and notations that you made during a class on psychometry and objects that can be made to hunt for you. Um, there's an actual drawing which shows you that there's a very specific point at which you can hold this and look down at like a gun sight. And so with making that roll, you kind of lean toward the curtain and pull the curtain and see that this thing's pointed right at the lower floor of the church. Okay. Um, I guess I know where I'm, I'm headed to then. Uh, gathering a mixture of, you know, the so-called usual kit 
yeah. to go adventuring. Uh, you know, he's not going to bring the full case because that's just cumbersome, but right. his preparations, and then he's going to make his way over to the church. Okay. Um, when you get down to the street, it's kind of crowded. There's, of course, a couple ladies that see you again and are very excited uh-huh. and start making their way toward you. But now the camera cuts from you and slides across, you know, kind of you get entangled by all these women and they stop you in the street, basically. And so the camera moves on from you and slides across the muddy and rutted street. And we kind of pass down along kind of these half-made stalls and, 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 and wagons and horses that are all filling this street at night and people in the street drinking and the camera maneuvers through, but we suddenly leave all this debauchery and all of this dirt as we come up onto the lawn. And as soon as we come up onto the lawn of the church, there's this sound of almost serenity, except we hear it's humming and praying and singing. And the camera pushes forward and we see the doors of the church open. And there is um, Father Devers at the front, you know, leading everyone in song. And the loudest voice in the whole room, of course, is Edith. She is bellowing, you know, because she knows every note, she knows every word, and is the most pious of everyone. And in her shadow, we see Sarah um, sitting next to her in the pew, kind of bored, I would, I would assume, but making sure that her voice is heard just enough for Edith to hear. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Um, your boredom becomes suddenly hairs again on the back of your neck. That moment when you were in the sheets, that kind of breathless being lost, you weren't sure. Suddenly the notes of the song uh, trail off in this kind of um, like someone turned the the reverb on completely but stopped the music and so you get this last no that kind of falls away and suddenly you're sitting there again and you see that the room has slowed and you hear the a breath behind you he's coming uh i I look over my shoulder. Is there anything actually behind me? There is. That the gentleman that you helped in the last episode, mm-hmm. um, the tall Chinese man uh, that was taken under your protection when you were trying to give him a bath, he is sitting behind you. And again, just kind of staring straight ahead and instantly locks eyes with you when you turn to him. He's coming. It's now, is, is the church around us now, like, still? Are yes. we, like, in a weird, oh, my God. <laughs> you're in, like, that, you're in that time bubble again. Yeah. Like, like who's coming? Is it, is it going to hurt? How do, how do we stop it? <laughs> he, 
he he stares at you and then looks toward the door and then looks back at you and goes he is here and when when he says he is here he leans forward and all of a sudden the church comes back to life they're singing again you're back this time you're looking behind and you've stopped singing but everyone else is still singing and they're Sister Edith has now elbowed me in ribs very severely. <laughs> she has. And she's now looking down at you. And her entire pelting of the music has gotten louder at you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you give me a, a um, do you have like a notice skill? I would say it could be an adaptability role or a brain power role. What do I want to call this? I'm going to call. Mm. And you could make it up if you want to. I'm wrong, but, my brain. Okay. Mm. What's your target? Uh, 50. All right. I have a 57. All right. Um, what do you have any influence cards? I can't hear you. Does anyone hear her? Get me. Oh, there you are. So, sorry, Joanna, we lost all of that. Oh, okay. Good. I'm just ran in the room. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, so what was your target number? My target number was 50. Okay. And you rolled a 57? I rolled a 57 and my influence cards can't affect that. Okay. All right. So the doors burst open and unfortunately, um, Edith grabs your head on top of your head and physically rotates your body by grabbing your head and rotating your head forward and make sure that you you can see her eyes as she's singing into you oh praise the i mean she is belting it right into you and looks you in the eyes and looks at the father and then lets go of your head drastically and then continues her pious singing forward of course. I, uh, I'm actually not looking at the father. I'm going to be completely like gripping my, my prayer book, my, which has, I guess, the probably the song lyrics in the back, I'm going to say. And I'm just, uh, I'm frustrated and a little, a little angry with her. And if she notices, and she probably does, I just have this death grip on this uh, this little this little book. So, but I'm singing, I'm singing along as I should be. You're you're a good you're a good girl, Sarah. Good um, girl. You're a good girl. So the camera then turns from Sarah and turns back, and we see Dr. Henry Hawkins standing in the doorway of the church now. And he's standing there, and we see this crystal on its leash on his hand, 
and the camera actually continues this track back to Henry standing now at the front door of the church. I need to get your mute off. Unmute. Try that again, sir. Uh, yeah. Um, so it's it's this weird he's not paying attention to the people he's drowned out the sound around him and he's just doing <laughs> he's almost doing an elvis impression going, oh yeah that's not unusual for him knowing, yeah. knowing the style well, you know some of the people had already seen him doing this weird dance so they're like what's this whack job doing now um so, yeah, I'm just really trying to close my eyes and envision where this thing is kind of taking me as I'm taking these steps, uh, I guess, down the aisle. Okay. So there's there inside of the church, there's not a lot of parishioners. Um, there's probably in all probably five people that are actually sitting upright. Most of the other people in this church probably another seven or eight of them are passed out, um, leaning over the pew in front of them, laying down on the pew, one's on the floor. Um, most of them are drunkards that have been rescued from the street traffic uh, and brought in. And, and the smell, yeah, is a little bit um, a mix between sensor smoke mm -hmm. and dung and urine yeah, yeah it's not a great smell yeah. but there is an over there's a smell you get that for just a second because there's this incredible heavy perfume smell that um that edith and sarah maintain so that you don't get that once you step into it you get that you get that waft of frankincense and myrrh which is the the standard yeah. of most uh, it practice. is it is quite obvious i don't even have to make you roll where this pendant is pointing it's pointing at the back of this what looks like a 17 year old girl sitting next to this large um strong norse woman well uh not quite sure what to do about that uh, as I take stock of what's around me. Uh, I will look for an open uh, seat and wait for the service to conclude. Okay. Um, uh, Sarah, why don't you give me a roll? Uh, give me a, a, I know that you have a death grip on your book, mm -hmm. um, but you might notice this, this man slipping in um, because you know some, someone came in. Right. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just gripped onto the book. <laughs> the problem sitting in the front row with uh, Sister Edith basically scream singing into your ear. Uh, you become deaf to everything around you. Or, yeah, around you. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, this, you do notice that, um, the father, I, your fear of Edith keeps your eyes forward, mm -hmm. but you know, something has changed in the room because the priest has motioned to someone to come in and have a seat. So, you know, there's this, there's this even a, a additional, 
like tingling at the back of your neck because you want to turn and see who's come in. You really do, but like, you know, the Edith Patrol is is fast at fast at case. So we as the music fades, the camera call starts to pull out of the church. And we see um you know, we see Dr. Henry putting away the crystal somewhere so it's not as obvious as we kind of pull out of the church and the camera pans and then kind of flies over the down the town through the other end of town and starts to move over uh onto some less traveled roads we pass a little bits of forest and we come over a rise and we are now confronted with the exploded front porch of the Trumbauer estate and the bodies of, of a two dead, three dead horses, a number of two other horses that are much more relaxed on the fence. And we have the last line of, of um, Matthew, the, the, the Trumbauer's, um, the Trumbauer's, a state man, if you will, or handyman, his last words as he lowers his shotgun from Jack Middleton and says, hmm, don't know who you are, stranger, but welcome to Trumbauer Farms. I think Jack will turn to Sandy's character and go, are you all right, ma'am? Are you hurt? Uh no, I'm fine, but you have an amazing keen ability with horses. I guess I do. I, I, I thank you very much. And who are you? What are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? Because that's kind of where we are. So Crenshaw, the, the honest truth is I can't remember why I'm here. You have a letter from the Pinkertons that was in that folder right. with the photograph that you were to investigate um, the Trumbauer's, uh, the death of her husband, Seth. Um, the Pinkertons asked you to reinvestigate that because of some, there were, there are a number of missing uh, and this this was going to come later in a scene, but I can stick this in now, because in that folder is also that there's a number of missing riders from the Pony Express, um, because there's a mountain range between her property and the Pony Express stop, and there's been reports of crazy stuff going up there. So you've been you've been sent on this task to investigate her property and the craziness that's happening up in this area. Okay, so sorry, there's a pony track and there's something weird happening around that as well as the death of her husband, those things. Yeah, so basically um, the Pony Express is a, a, like the, the line of the Pony Express runs about 50 or 60, 70 miles north of Eli, Nevada. And the Trumbauer estate sits between Eli and the Pony Express line stop that I think is called um, Smoke Valley. Uh, and they're, the, the reason they're sending you there is because th there were some strange occurrences with the murder, quote unquote, or whatever happened to her husband by animals. No, not animals. 
That makes sense. And and sorry, just to check, Sandy's character isn't the one that's hired me, right? So I, I correct. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, so my character um, puts his gun away and goes, "Mom, is there somewhere we can we can sit and talk?" Well, I think that we can we can go in the kitchen here let me let me come get, have you had dinner mom I, I haven't and i'm i'm hungry i've been traveling all day that's very kind of you great so come on we'll we'll get you something together for to have something to eat and and get some get something warm in you um so i, I as i'm sort of waiting um, or, or maybe as, as you're preparing the meal, I mean, I'll look round. Are there any kind of signs of your of your husband in the kitchen? Oh, absolutely. Um, it it was two years ago that he died, um, but there is a uh, I and and I had uh, in all of the the craziness with the horses, I picked up his rifle, um, which has uh, his initials carved into the stock and I, I'll lean nice. that up again, lean that up against the back door. Um, but certainly there's a picture uh, in the kitchen because there's a lot of activity that goes on in a kitchen in a, in a ranch like this. Um, so there's a picture of him and me um, that doesn't look like it uh, went on it, that it was taken too too long ago. It it is our wedding our wedding picture, um, and uh, we have been married for five years. So uh, Maggie doesn't look really all that different. That's great. Actually, I love the idea of going with the rifle. So I'll I'll um, um, I'll, I'll look at the rifle again. That's a fine rifle, ma'am. Is that yours? Uh, it was my husband's, but he taught me how to shoot, so uh, I feel comfortable with it. So I'm sure. So as you guys are in the yeah. middle of this conversation, um, Matthew is dragging the horse out of the living room with a couple of the other hands from the ranch. And uh, he... Um, both of you, if you don't mind, give me a, uh, a brain power or a I notice stuff or an adaptability role. Okay. Um. I make a brain power. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was going with brain power and I got a 55 out of 59. Oof. Okay, sure you don't want to make it a 59 out of 59, <laughs> just for old time's sake. <laughs> so, so, Graham, what did you roll? So I've got a 44 out of 65. Okay, right. so you both make it. You both notice that Matthew has stopped dragging the horse while the other hands are continuing, and he's looking up the property. Kind of stopped in his mid-dragging of this horse. Okay, so I'll, I'll turn to him and go, are you all right, sir? He glances over to see who said something, but tries to not keep, let his eyes leave what he's seeing in the distance. He goes, I'm not sure, but no, I'm not, I don't know what I'm seeing. I'm not really quite sure. And he drops the legs of the horse and kind of inquisitively kind of turns and looks and turns to the other says just drop, drop drop the horse for a minute boys and and looks and starts to get his 
rifle back. So steps back into the steps into the living room and starts looking for his rifle that he set down to move the horse. So can we follow his eye line and see what he saw? Yes, great. So there's this camera shot that like pulls from inside and follows you out through the destroyed, you know, opening. And as you step out, you can see it just at the far edge of the of your of the darkness that is the night as far as you can see at the very edge there's a set of there's a set of what looks like glowing lights two lights that are moving independently from each other um and kind of moving up and down in the distance that's fantastic go on sandy that's interesting and i mean like firefly like firefly like size lights but far in the distance and in kind of this yellow this kind of yellowy light look to them and does this remind me of anything from my dream or is the light similar in any way no okay no it's not um the light from your dream was very blue and white very cold and this is more warm, more yellow, and kind of flickering in the distance. And as you watch it, the lights get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. As Matthew steps from the porch and finishes loading, you know, making sure that his shotgun is loaded as he re-racks his shotgun. All right, well, uh, Matthew, any idea what these things are? Because I haven't seen anything like this. Matthew? That's oh, you. I'm sorry. That's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hello. <laughs> I was. Hello. NP on deck. NPC on deck, please. Who's directing this? <laughs> um, he looks up from loading his shotgun and says, um, I don't know, maybe riders, ma'am. I'm not really quite sure. Um, and as he finishes, um, like loading his gun, you now can hear the sound of a yelping of an Indian. And then you see the lights are bouncing and they get a little bit bigger and there's another, another yelp and the sound of hooves. And now you can hear riders and all of a sudden out of the darkness, as the torches get brighter, you can see that there are two riders um, from, um, from the Shikoso tribe that was trading with you earlier suddenly pull their horses back and stop sending dust and dirt everywhere flying around all of you standing around the dead horses and and i uh i turn to jack and i say they're friends uh they've been they they live nearby and we do a lot of trading so i think uh, and maybe we could go talk to them about those horses. In mid-sentence, I'd like you to roll percentile. Um, everyone else here, uh, that includes you, Graham, because I'm an NPC. I don't have to roll. Um, um, uh, Graham, make a brain power roll, please. Uh, Sandy, make a brown power, brain power roll as well, please. I didn't uh, yeah, I, uh, I missed that. Okay. Um, these Indians look really hostile to you, like really hostile. As they pull up their horses, 
um, Maggie is going, turns to everyone and says, oh, they're fine. I trade with them. How'd you, how'd you do, Maggie? Uh, I got a 39 out of 59. All right. So you're just finishing. You're like, you know, they're fine. I, I trade with them. You turn and notice they have jumped off their horses and have grabbed their war clubs and are now, and they're now looking around seeing their tribesmen's horses, one shot, two tied to a fence, one absolutely beaten to death on the ground and pummeled, you know, like beaten by the other horses. And they're, they're kind of looking around, looking for their brothers and looking at the horses and looking at you with all of your guns. And so there's this moment where you're all looking at each other and you can see that there's insane confusion and hostility and um, waves crashing against rocks. Um, looks at you, Maggie, and goes, what has happened to my brethren? What has happened here? The horses were attacking each other. And we feared the, it, you see the, the damage to the house that, that the horse fell through because of the other horses attacking them. And my friend here, and I, I point to Jack, uh, my friend calmed down the two horses that are tied over there but we could not calm down these these other horses. Sir, do you know why why horses would start attacking each other? Have you seen anything like that? There are sometimes when horses foam at mouth that they become strange and erratic and must be put down, but I've never I've never seen markings like this. And he walks over to the horse that has those kind of burn marks along its two of the horses have these like streaks and burn marks all along the back of their hindquarters and their haunches. And, you know, he stands over and he turns to um, like a mountain, his, his other rider and like a mountain walks over and looks and they turn and, and in their native tongue, discuss a few, a few things and look at the house and point. And after a few minutes, they, they walk over and, and, and put their war clubs back in and turn and sit and they turn to you and he for a moment um, like a mountain steps closer to you uh, Jack and he, he's like a mountain how tall are you Jack? Jack's 5'10 he's not you know not tall at all. All right so we have this kind of almost it's not comical, but it's a funny moment where this extremely strongly built, aptly named like a mountain, um, steps close to you and the camera shows you kind of looking up to him as he kind of looks down on you. And he, he leans down and takes his, actually smell, like leans down and smells you <laughs> and sticks his nose ar around your face and starts smelling you. Okay, I, I think Jack, Jack would that would Jack would find that disconcerting, but he he'd let him do it. He looks you in the eye as he's doing it, and kind of notices that you've realized that this is not a custom that you're accustomed to, and acknowledges the fact that you're not moving, and smiles, seeing your strength, and turns 
to uh, you know waves crash against rocks and and nods his head and smiles and says something and then just gently kind of pats you on the shoulder and steps back and says you have seen things that most men have not have you not that's true i have how did you know because i can smell it on you and he looks at you and he says you have also for the very first time fallen into one of your dreams have you not so jack looks really shocked at that um how could you know that i can smell it is this something you've seen before people falling into their dreams yes it is common it's common yes if you know the ways i don't know the ways i i fell into a, a photograph a photograph. Oh, a, a flash paper. Yes. Interesting. You must have been tired, though. And stressed. I, I was. Are you saying I was dreaming? I fell asleep. Yes. It took you. But no one would have noticed without looking. You'll be fine. He just pats you on the shoulder again. You'll hmm. be fine. And he turns and says something back to Waves Crest Against Rock. Crenshaw, if I, I mean, I, I'm a medical character. Can I get any clue about what these injuries on the horses are? Um, yes. Why don't you give me some med medical advent, um, CSI Old West 1870s role. <laughs> CSI Old West. Um, yeah, that's good. So, I mean, I, I haven't put um, skill for medicine, but I should probably have one if that's right with you. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, sure. you, can put, you can put CSI Old West if you want. <laughs> I think it would be pretty good, too, considering that the this Pinkertons have sent you out. <laughs> this is to your, do this, this. Is, yeah. This is, this is your character skill core. So, how does that put CSI well, Old West? Because it's funny. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry? How do I roll on my. I didn't get any of that. It's, I'm sorry. The, the, uh, the framing for the numbers is the same framing as your basic attributes. So, uh, so 50 would be about average. And, but, you know, considering your, your positioning with the Pinkertons, it would, it would be above that. I would put them at at least 70, if not closer to 80. Again. That's just, that's just me. Five, if this character is going to be the CSI old one. Sure. Thirty-one over seventy-five. Yeah, you you want to? Yeah, no, seventy-five sounds good. Seventy-five sounds great. Okay, so um, I've I've rolled and I've got thirty-one on a seventy-five roll. Okay, that's a pretty average mean roll for that. It's let's put it this way, um, this is not, um you have found that this is wounds that are not particularly uh, common that you have ever seen before. Um, they, as you're examining it, you find that it is kind of a, a weird blend of two different types of physical trauma to a horse. One would be a, a, a freezing effect 
So there is um, dehydration of the skin. There's, you know, frostbite. Um, so it's a burn, but it's a cold burn. But at the same time, there is actually damage to the cellular level from acids or devouring liquids. A devouring, some type of devouring liquid would be the right mindset. Okay, so a combination of sort of acidic devouring liquid and cold. Yes, correct. Cool. So, so I say that out loud. I say um, these horses have a burn, like a cold burn, but it also looks as though something's tried to eat them. There's an acidic saliva I've only seen on, I don't know, not sure what has acidic saliva, but some sort of injury. Um, yeah, there would be like, you know, someone trying to, to do acid, like destroying a body with acid would be an, an, you know, like a murder scene of someone trying to use acid to destroy someone. There would be common wounding that way. But this is very specific and this is very unified markings. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like shaped damage. It's very, it's very, it's strange. So is, is Jack saying this out loud? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Maggie's, Maggie's reaction to that, um, we don't have anything out here that would do something like that that I know of. Uh, certainly we get animal attacks all the time and she hesitates a little bit and shudders a little bit. Um, but this, this, it, it must have been huge, whatever did this to these horses. And, and uh, she turns to Matthew and, uh, and says, Any, anything that you know about? And she turns to um, waves crashing against rocks and says, your, your lore, is there anything out here that could do anything like this that you would know about. Matthew for a minute looks down and then looks up and says, well, we were dealing with horses in the living room, ma'am. Uh, I didn't really get a chance to tell you that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a couple cattle we found out by the, by the, by the far West corner that have the similar kind of markings to these. And uh, we were on our way back to tell you when uh, these horses arrived. So yeah, I think unfortunately I have. Um, so it's killing the cattle. It got it, two of them, ma'am, yes. It's attacking these horses. And any, it, has there been any, like did it eat the cattle? Was it something that that wanted a meal? It's the damnest thing I've ever seen, ma'am. I've never seen anything like it. Oh. I can show you. And and in the in this whole meantime, the the for Maggie, it's this like a Jack, even though it's sort of um it's dim light, Jack can see her go a little pale. Uh, that it like that is is showing through the dim light uh, because 
her husband was killed by what the comfortable explanation was animals and uh and now the cattle uh and these horses that that uh, it's it's all it's all too much why don't you give me a stability roll if you don't mind please there a maggie ability roll maggie yes. is very stable i know that oh uh 66 out of 75 all right um it dawns on her as she's putting it all together that it's the same corner that she lost her husband at oh and in that moment she goes a little bit paler um so um doctor this is um an really uncomfortable thing for me to say i appreciate you looking at the horses and and telling us what you think but this is all a little too much and you see um that she's she's carrying a rifle but you see her hand going to that uh that well-worn part of the of the stock of the rifle where her husband's name is carved and where his initials are carved um you see her just start to to rub that spot um and it looks like it's shiny so it's been rubbed a lot <laughs> okay so we see maggie finishing that as we pull back we see jack um and is jack uh, um matthew's getting going and getting horses it looks like everyone's getting ready to get horses as we're pulling across back we see jack jack what are you doing as we pull away from the scene I think he's he's reaching into his medical medical bag. Maybe he's getting something out for um, uh, for Sandy's character. Okay, so the camera turns just as we leave, as we leave the scene, and we see that waves crashing against rock and like a mountain are over at one of the of the two horses, and they're huddled down, talking to each other. And we see um, like a mountain huddled underneath. Uh, waves crash like a rock if that's possible because he's so big but he's he's making a gesturing motion with his hand pointing to the wounds and then making a gesture of something and and kind of pantomiming movement and then like using a hand chant with uh with waves crashes against rock as we as the camera pulls out and we and we fade to black and take a pause in our podcast. Uh, I'm just going to stop the recording. Uh, 